It's at the letters for Thursday, February 15th, 2024. Arden Zwelling with Ben Nicholson-Smith. Our producers are Christian Ryan and Nick Andrade. Thanks to them for their work. Thanks to you for listening. Ben, as I look out my window here in Toronto, it is uh, rather snowy, but in Dunedin, Florida, it is anything but. It is warm. It is sunny. Pitchers and catchers have reported the snap of the mitt, the crack of the bat. All those things that happen around this time of year are happening in Dunedin. Spring training is underway. Yeah, it's great. Really excited to get down there in a couple of weeks uh, as I look outside and see that same blizzard here in Toronto. Of course, Shai Davidi and Hazel May down there right now. But yeah, spring training is long. Really excited to get down there and cover some of it off um, with respect to the Jays and really lots to discuss with this team here. All right, well, then let's get after it. Like, What are some of the bigger things that you're going to be keeping an eye on over the next several weeks as the Blue Jays ramp up for the season? I'll start with an obvious one. I'll start with Alec Manoa. I think, you know, you look at where he was last year. This is a guy who has not spoken to the media in six months. We have not heard from him. We have not seen him pitch in six months. We saw him off a mound throwing a side session Thursday when camp uh, opened in Dunedin. But essentially, we haven't seen him in any kind of game action for half a year. So that to me, like, uh, it's hard to come up with really a bigger storyline than that and a bigger possible you know upgrade to the Blue Jays compared to the second half of last year to where he potentially could be in 2024 yeah I tend to think that with some of the public comments like I think it'll probably be pretty banal you know I don't think that he's going to air anybody out I don't think that he's going to be um, too revealing I think that he's going to say all the things that we're all expecting him to say you know, hey, last year didn't go my way. I got punched in the mouth. Not the first time. Life has knocked me down. I'm going to come back stronger this year and better than ever. I carried my frustrations from last year into the offseason, put in a whole bunch of work, uh, ready to go out and, and prove everybody wrong. So, like, I'm, I'm not expecting too much from that side of it. I am certainly, like, interested to see how he looks on the mound and yeah. just uh, how his stuff looks in spring and like usually i am somebody who would sort of nudge people away from paying too much attention to um results certainly but even beyond that like things like velocity can be a little bit misleading sometimes in spring because it's not the same atmosphere it's not the same environment as a big league game played at rogers center or yankee stadium or fenway park um when things count and things matter uh and pitchers work on things during spring and they go into their outings saying i'm just trying to build up i'm just trying to feel a certain way on the mound just trying to get a certain rhythm so you want to be really careful with the results and even some of the measurables sometimes in spring but I will be paying attention to the velocity when it comes to Alec Manoa during his first several spring starts I will be paying attention to the horizontal break on his slider and I will be looking to see if that slider is more like a 14 15 inches of horizontal break versus the 11 12 that it was last year and I am going to be paying attention as well just to his body language on the mound his confidence um his rhythm his tempo just how he looks walking around the mound even in between batters in between pitches i do think that some of those things will be important to assess this spring for alec manoa yeah exactly because you know i think you look at at last year for example and and spring training 2023 okay who were we dialed in on It, it was guys like yusei kikuchi who had something to prove and i think if you're someone like a kevin gosman who consistently year after year has good results at the major league level you just kind of give those guys a free pass. And Chris Bassett has earned that. Uh, Jose Barrios this year, I would say, has earned that. Um, and, and even Kikuchi has. But last year, we were dialed in on Barrios when he was hit hard in the WBC because he was coming off a, a tough year. Same with Kikuchi. So I think it's it's only natural, and it's not just those of us in the media, but you talk to scouts around the team or coaches around the team. People are watching more closely when a player has something to prove. And of anyone on the Blue Jays this year, I'd say it's Alec Manoa who probably has the most to prove, maybe along with Flag Guerrero Jr., um, maybe some of the younger players on this team as well. But from the heights that, that he reached to where he ended up in 2023, there's a ton at stake here for Manoa. And so completely agree that you are going to be more dialed in to watching pitch to pitch and, and the body language, all that now stuff. One and two on Casas, but not anymore. Manoa strikes him out. 
and retires the Red Sox in order in the bottom of the You mentioned the tempo and the rhythm on the mound. I think that's going to be really important because from a delivery standpoint, the Blue Jays don't want him to be someone who's really stiff and, and vertical out there. You want to see some fluidity and tempo to that to that um, delivery as he's attacking hitters inning after inning. And so it'll take a while before we get an accurate read there, but those are some of the things that I think really matter when it comes to Manoa. Yeah, slider movement is huge. How he's using that pitch, how he's landing it, um, how confident he is in that pitch. I mean, Alc Manoa, a guy who can wear his heart on his sleeve um, on the mound, is one of the reasons why like we love watching him pitch and why he's like, it's uh, Stroman-esque, you know? It's just like really cool to see a guy, you know, who can like really show his emotions like that on the mound. Like he's, this is not, you know, your kind of robotic, uh, you know, Garrett Cole type, right? Like this is somebody who, you know, is pretty expressive when he's pitching. So like it's going to be interesting just to watch the progression of that. This spring, um, you know, you kind of mentioned it, like it's hard to set expectations with him because you can't go from more disparate poles of two years ago being a Cy Young finalist and then last year being one of the, if not the, least effective starters at the big league level. I mean, you can, like on the Savant page, like all of the numbers from 2022 go from bright red to dark blue in 2023. Like we are just talking about such polarizing seasons. So it's hard to even kind of wrap your head around like where expectations should be. Um, I'm not sure I even have the answer to that question, but like what what do you think is a fair expectation for Blue Jays fans when, when they look to what Alec Manoa can be for this club in 2024? You know, when it comes to the, the day-to-day performance, I'm thinking if he can be a guy who goes five and a third, five and two thirds, he allows two or three runs, I think you're really happy with that, as you would be for 95% of major league pitchers. I mean, that's that's really, really good. And we know he can be at that level. I know it doesn't necessarily sound that good when you say like five and a third innings, three earned runs. But man, you add that up over the course of a season, that's really valuable. And, you know, you and I know this from from covering the Clay Buckholes and the Edwin Jackson and some of the Trent Thornton, some of the starters who who struggled on some of the teams that were a lot worse than than the current version of the Blue Jays it can be hard to find even somewhat dependable major league starting pitching. And so if he can be in that level, great. I do not expect that he's going to go out there and pitch seven innings, two earned runs every night. Um, but I think in the course of the season, we're probably talking about a guy who can have an ERA around four and who certainly is showing that he can haul innings, He's a big, strong guy. If he can recover from some of the health stuff, um, which was bothering him legitimately at the end of last season, then I think, is he 150 innings of a four ERA? Like that to me would be, I think if you can snap your fingers right now and take and get that, you would take that. Here's a question for you. Do you think that Alec Manoa is competing for a spot in the Blue Jays rotation in this camp? Or do you think that he is this club's number five starter on opening day until we have like a very uh, profound reason to believe otherwise? That's that's a good way to frame it, and I think you kind of answered the question in that framing. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I think I think it's his job to lose. End of the day, if Mitch White goes in there and pitches thirty innings with forty five strikeouts and one walk, maybe Mitch White earns the spot. But like, it's going to have to be dominant. I, Bowden Francis probably makes this team. Um, in some capacity, but I think he's behind Manoa. Uriel Rodriguez, I mean, if Rodriguez comes in and he's just dominant, then maybe, but I think Manoa is clearly established as the front runner for this spot. It's so interesting because if you had asked me in like August, September last year, like who's, you know, the number six, this is when Ryu was back, it was the number five, who's the number six on this club? It was Bowden Francis for me on merit, you know, on form. Um, on the fact that like he was confident on the mound and his velocity was mid-90s and he was landing a breaking ball and he was throwing strikes and he wasn't backing down from anybody. He had control and command of his pitches, rhythm, tempo, all these little you know nuances that we're referring to. I mean, Bowden Francis was checking all of those boxes and Alec Manoa wasn't. So I think that even in a world... Um, over the you know in the last two months of 2023 in which both like Francis and Manoa are like healthy and you know active on the Blue Jays roster I think Francis gets the start in a must-win game before Manoa does 
So it does kind of make you question like, okay, what has changed over the off season? Like, is this really fair to a Bowden Francis for him to now have to take a back seat behind Manoa when he really pitched better than him all last year? It's, it's a fair question. I do think it's fair. Um, I, I do think when you look at a guy who has been a Cy Young finalist in the major leagues, um, look, if he's not actively throwing the way Manoa had had stepped away, you know, again, he he did get a, an injection in his shoulder. There were health concerns there. So he stepped away for a reason, but he was not throwing. He was he was not um, toward the end of the season. He was shut down. So at that point, clearly, you know, he's lost the the right to be in that discussion. Um, and, and at that point, you're going to go to someone who's pitching in that moment. But if Manoa is physically right, and the indications are that he has worked out really hard this offseason, he's in better shape, he's in a better headspace, and ready to produce and perform, then given what he has accomplished in the major leagues, I, I actually think it's totally fine for him to be ahead of Bowden Francis and Mitch White. But it, but it has to be a meritocracy, ultimately. Yeah, and I'm not sure you are running a meritocracy if like Bowden Francis isn't being given a legitimate chance of winning the number five spot in this rotation to begin the season. Yeah, and and you know what? Like, I do think Mano is the front runner, but I think he could lose this job. Like, if he comes out and he's sitting 90-91 and the slider doesn't have the bite and Francis just keeps trucking along and doing what he's done, then look, Manoa has options. And I don't think the way last year ended, if he does not come out here and have a good spring, I don't think that Manoa should be entitled to breaking camp with this team. And so from that standpoint, I do think there has to be an element of who performs the best because this Jays team, you know, they're they're not a 105-win juggernaut. They need every win they can get, and that means coming out of the gate strong. And a very tough schedule to be in the season as well. I mean, no joke opponents in April, and you open up on a 10-game road trip. I mean, you open in Tampa, you're going to the Bronx on that road trip, you're going to Houston, um, some very tough opponents. So I think you want to field like your best possible side from the jump and try to bank as many wins as possible early in the season. Um, you mentioned the health aspect with Manoa, and that would be like, my biggest thing that I look for, um, especially early in spring training, not just as it pertains to Manoa, but as it pertains to everybody on the Blue Jays, is health. Who's healthy? Who picked up something over the offseason that we're just going to learn about now? Who might pick up something as they start ramping up workload? Again, like this is the time of year when you start to see um, all kinds of injuries like crop up across MLB because um, particularly with pitchers, like uh, they're starting to throw at high intensity again after a very long layoff. They're starting to stress their shoulders and, and their elbows and their tendons and their ligaments for the first time in a while. And it doesn't take much for, you know, something bad to happen there if uh, if you don't progress really deliberately and really intelligently so like over the next week you're going to hear all kinds of so-and-so is experiencing soreness so-and-so has inflammation tightness discomfort um so-and-so is being backed off you see it often in players who carried pretty substantial workloads the season prior like manoa comes to mind remember how many innings he threw in 2022 and then he comes back in 2023 and doesn't look like the same guy and i do think that you know workload was and and the offseason that manoa had following that was likely part of what he went through last year you mentioned mitch white you saw the same thing he set a career high in innings pitched in 20 2022 he battles uh ends up batting a shoulder issue throughout the offseason it sets him back he's battling it again in spring training he's getting injections he's being set back and uh it just submarines his entire season dude ends up getting dfa'd halfway through uh so you know i i, I will be keeping an eye on that particularly when you look at Blue Jays relievers who carried very substantial workloads last year and set career highs in innings pitched. Uh, it's just going to be interesting to see how these guys build up and, and what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of health things could arise over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, we've already seen that with Justin Verlander and, and others for the Jays. They're obviously hopeful that they can uh, avoid that end of the day you are going to need probably all those guys to start games for you in 2024 at some point so we say this every year but it's it's true this year as well that maybe it's a, a Bowden Francis making 10 starts maybe it's Ariel Rodriguez making 
eight or 10 starts. We'll see. Maybe Mitch White makes starts. Ricky Tiedemann as well. I mean, he's a guy who's um, did not pitch a lot in 2023 from an inning standpoint. Uh, but if he can come out in spring and consistently throw strikes, then, I mean, he's going to he's gonna start in Buffalo. But if he can come out in spring and consistently throw strikes and with the kind of velo and the stuff that he has, then that can make an impression on Blue Jays' decision makers to the point that five, six weeks into the season, it wouldn't be surprising if Ricky Tiedemann is on the major league team. Position player timeout. Called strike three. Good slider over the inside corner as Tiedemann picks up his first strikeout looking and his third punch out of the game. Yeah, I don't think the Blue Jays are going to use six starters again. I know they used eight, but two of them were Trevor Richards and Wes Parsons. So. Really, the Blue Jays used six starters last year. Uh, it's just very, very hard to believe that's going to be the case again. So, yeah, the Blue Jays are going to have to tap into that depth of Francis's and Rodriguez's and Tiedemann's. And, I mean, who who knows who else, right? Like, maybe we see a Chad Dallas at the big league level for a stage at, at some point or a CJ Van Eyck. Um, yeah. Yeah, right? I, I, like, these things... Are going to happen. It's going to be in the bullpen too, right? Like Blue Jays bullpen, like pretty, pretty healthy last year, all things considered. Uh, that's how you end up with guys like Jimmy Garcia and Tim Mason, Eric Swanson, all setting career highs in innings pitched. Um, you know, we saw like how heavily this club relied on a guy like Swanson last year. So, you know, th- those are guys who are going to have to be like very deliberate about how they build up in spring. Wouldn't be surprised to see the Blue Jays be cautious with guys who are coming off of like career high workloads. Um, Cause like, look, you can ask Chad Green how this goes, right? He throws a career high 83 and two thirds innings in 2021 has Tommy John surgery in 2022. So, you know, that's, that's going to be something to keep an eye on. And then, yeah, you mentioned Yariel Rodriguez a couple of times, just what kind of role he's in in spring, um, how the Blue Jays progress him coming off of a year when he didn't pitch competitively at all. Uh, we got to learn a bit about his contract escalators this week, which I think tells you something about what the Blue Jays are expecting from him in 2024. Like his escalators in 2024 are for innings pitch totals in like the 60, 70, 80 range. Whereas in 25, 26, 27, later on in the contract, those escalators are like 120, 130, 140 innings pitched. So kind of tells you the Blue Jays are expecting more length out of him later on in this deal. But as far as just the first year, 2024, it seems like the Blue Jays are looking at somebody who's going to have more of a a bullpen role, perhaps a hybrid role, a length relief role, maybe a spot start here and there. But it doesn't seem like it's somebody who they're going to be like relying on to be a a five inning starter for them. Yeah, it sounds like he will be stretched out at least to, to get a sense of what he can do and what he looks like and see if he can offer them some of that bulk. But yeah, that's really interesting with those escalators. I didn't realize that until uh, until you mentioned that, but that is very telling and uh, probably indicates that you know this might be more of a hey, let's reset after you didn't pitch professionally at all in 2023, and then build up toward potentially a greater amount of innings for for 2025 and beyond. But yeah, really, you know, this is a pretty big arm, and so whatever role he's in watching him against major league hitters uh, in spring training is going to be really interesting just to see what kind of swings he gets, what the catchers are saying about him. Um, I presume he might work with Kirk to, to start, but I'm sure he'll work with Jansen as well um, to see what John Schneider and Pete Walker think. It's going to be interesting because, you know, you would think, and he can be optioned too, right? This year he can be optioned without his permission. So there's a chance he would start in the minor leagues, but would expect that he plays a big role in this pitching staff. Yeah, I'd expect the Blue Jays to take advantage of that option this year because they do have it. And, uh, you know, clearly it's something that he's agreed to in his contract. This is not something that the Blue Jays had with Shun Yamaguchi when he came over from Japan. Like they could not option him without his consent. And that became a bit of a problem as uh, Shun Yamaguchi struggled to make the transition to MLB. Remember, like with Rodriguez, yep, big time stuff, like projectable dude. Like you can see, you know, what the Blue Jays are seeing in terms of thinking that they can develop him into more than what he's been to this point. We're still talking about somebody who has not pitched 
at the MLB level. So I think that you can expect there to be a bit of a transition process. Like you can expect there to be a bit of acclimation that's going to have to happen. I mean, it's just, it's a new environment. It's a new continent. It's a new level of competition that he hasn't faced before. It's a different style of baseball. I mean, you know how contact oriented NPB can be um, MLB, obviously a lot more power oriented. So that kind of changes the way that you approach uh, certain hitters and the areas of the zone that you work in and how often you double up on certain pitches to, you know, in certain attack plans and the sequences that you use. I think you can expect there to be, uh, you know, some growing pains, certainly as he gets acclimated to this level. And and so maybe the Blue Jays end up using that option uh, if they kind of need to take a second to reset with Rodriguez at any point this year. Yeah. Anything else on the pitching side or are there position players that um, that are going to be on your radar as, as spring begins here? I mean, my final um, one here and it's broad again, but it's just which developmental players are ready to take a jump. Like who who could be impacting this club this year? Because you look at the depth that the Blue Jays have or lack, <laughs> if you want to put it that way, and it looks like the Blue Jays are going to need somebody to have their own Babe Schneider arc this yeah. year. And I don't know if that's going to be or Elvis Martinez. I don't know if that's going to be Alan Rodin or Damiano Palmagiani or Addison Barger or somebody else who we aren't even talking about. Because if you flash back a year, none of us were talking about Davis Schneider. Uh, you know, I, I don't even think he was in big league camp last no, year. No, he wasn't. Right? He had a few games in big league camp, but he he wasn't part of camp. Yeah, none of us were even talking about him. Um, so there could be somebody within the system who's not even in big league camp right now who's going to end up being this year's Babe Schneider. And a high fly ball to left. Do you believe it? Davis Schneider with a home run off a roll as Chapman. One thing that I believe is that someone's going to have to because someone's going to get hurt. Someone else is going to underperform and the Blue Jays are just going to need someone from within internally to step up because they haven't had enough good stories coming out of their system over the last couple of years. Like, obviously, you graduate the talent in a Kirk and a Guerrero and a Bichette. Um, you know, Jansen before them, Romano before them, Biggio. Um, but there hasn't been like another wave coming behind. Like there hasn't been a lot of um, supplementary talent coming from behind them who are able to step up and be just like capable everyday big leaguers. Maybe David Schneider can be that. We'll see. The Luges are just going to need more help internally this year, especially if they're going to be successful. Yeah, it's it's so important. And, you know, the Jays themselves have said this. They they understand the importance of it internally. They've talked about player development a lot. But as you said, the last few years, there haven't been those same level of graduations, that same level of impact, especially on the position player side, reaching the major leagues. And you look at the best teams in baseball, teams like the Dodgers or the Orioles, um, they have waves of talent. Like Baltimore might have Kobe Mayo and Jackson Holiday come up this year and be, you know, along with Kierstad, along with... Westberg and 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 of course Rushman and Henderson is just incredible amounts of young talent. Of course, they've had more picks, um, but you do have teams like the Dodgers that still find a way to do this, even though they're not picking at the top of the draft. Or the Yankees or the Rays, they're teams in their division that in the prospect rankings that have come out across Major League Baseball are well ahead of the Blue Jays on this. So that has not been a strength, uh, you know, to get to this point where you're twentieth, twenty fifth in Major League Baseball in prospect rankings is not what the Blue Jays would have wanted. Um, This is not where they would have wanted to be. Now, look, internally, if guys can surpass expectations, maybe those rankings will prove to be wrong. And as you say, there's some promising players in this organization that it'll be really interesting to watch and see what a guy like an Alan Roden can do or maybe an Aurelvis Martinez. And it's not that they don't have some good prospects because they do, but that overall system by the publicly available rankings is not at that level of some of the other teams and that's how you sustain success and you don't have those like valleys where you spend two or three seasons like in the wilderness you know winning 78 to 82 games right like that's how you are the astros and the dodgers and you are perennially in the postseason uh while letting like really talented players exit 
your organization. That's how, you know, the Astros can let a George Springer and a Carlos Correa walk and still go back to the ALCS. Like that's how the Dodgers can let a, you know, a Corey Seager and a Manny Machado just depart and continue to, you know, return to the playoffs and obviously haven't had success there. But I mean, the Dodgers to me have been the best team in baseball for like the last decade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just look at the, the the run of success that they've had. I know it's only one championship, but I mean, you just can't convince me otherwise that the Dodgers haven't been the best club of the last decade in MLB. So it's they, like it's like Atlanta in the 90s, right? Like Atlanta yeah. in the 90s was a force, but, you know, they only won once. And the Dodgers, the Astros, they're able to do that because they continually develop talent from within. And these are not clubs that are picking at the top of the draft. This is, you know, these are clubs who are taking players in the third, fourth, fifth round with um, interesting tools or abilities or traits that they have, like, identified as undervalued across the industry. And they go and they select these players and they bring them into their developmental system and they work with them and they help them get the most out of their those tools and add to other parts of their game to the point where they can be guys with like over 100 wrc pluses in the big leagues like that's just what you need you need that supplemental talent coming up through your system developmentally and you need to be able to identify it um you know in the domestic amateur market and also internationally and then acquire it and and help those players get the most out of it so i think that's something that the blue jays are they're going to need to see some more results from their developmental system this year if you know not only if they're going to win in 2024 but if they're going to sort of lay the foundation of continuing to win through 25 26 27 28 as players like guerrero bichette uh, Romano, Biggio, Jansen, etc., get to like the end of their controllability on the club side, and as ultimately some of them likely end up leaving the organization and playing elsewhere. For sure, for sure. And I think like this is where you kind of have to have one or the other, right? And so if the Blue Jays aren't going to go out and you're not going to spend on Cody Bellinger, okay, let's which let's assume that in this example, Cody Bellinger signs with the Cubs. All right. Um, you're not going to have that big, splashy offseason signing. Then you do need someone internally to step up. Then you do need to be sure that you have that organizational talent that is going to be able to backfill when someone goes down and you need to have somebody come up and, and hit major league pitching for a week or two. So, you know, some teams maybe paper over this stuff by spending. The Blue Jays didn't spend a lot, haven't spent a lot so far this offseason. They didn't, they weren't. Um, the most aggressive out there on the free agent market. So it really amplifies the pressure on what they're going to get from that internal group. They've kind of already done their spending, you know, like in prior off seasons, like the Blue Jays are going to run a franchise record payroll this right. year. They've never spent more money. They're going to be a luxury tax team for a second consecutive year. They're going to be top five, top six, top seven across baseball, just can, you know, depending on how things shake out once some of the, you know, Snells and Montgomery's and Bellinger's and Chapman's come off the board. Like this is a team that has George Springer making like $24 million, Kevin Gosman, 22, Chris Bassett, 22, Jose Barrios, uh, close to 18. Like there are a lot of big ticket players on this club like it really does reinforce that the blue jays are like built to win now need to win now in 2024 yeah exactly um and i think too like that kind of adds to the intrigue as far as how they round out this offseason if at all um because um there may be we talked last week about the san francisco giants who ended up acquiring Otto lopez like maybe you know you, you would suggest that espinal like the the lopez thing might actually be like a almost like a, an Espinal light. I don't know if that blocks them off from Espinal. In theory, they could still um, acquire an Espinal and, and Slater and J.D. Davis do make some sense in my mind for this Blue Jays team. Um, so I'll be interested to see if there is any traction on trade talks along those lines. Any final things you'll be keeping an eye on uh, this spring before we take the break? I think those are the big ones. Those are the big ones. Let's step away. When we continue, we will talk uh, internal improvement from the Blue Jays. We'll talk about uh, maybe some common misconceptions that you tend to see around uh, spring training. All that and so much more when we continue on At The Letters. Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. 
It continues on at the letters Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson Smith. Our producers are Christian Ryan and Nick Andrade. Uh, thinking about what the topics are going to be over the next several weeks, Ben. What are the things that we're going to get sick of talking about between now and opening day? And uh, I feel like one of them is already internal improvement and the bet that the Blue Jays are making on it, whether anybody should be buying or selling, whether uh, many of the same offensive pieces that uh, contributed to last year's underwhelming offense can in fact be better in 2024 without like really impactful acquisitions from outside the organization. So let me uh, let you get sick of it, Ben. Let me put it to you. You buying or selling the internal improvement of the Blue Jays offense? I, I buy that it's an important topic. I buy that it's necessary that it happens for the Blue Jays to have a successful year. Will it happen? I don't know. I I really don't. Um, I, I'll be really interested to watch guys like Vlad Guerrero Jr. in particular um, and see what he looks like this spring because I think that can give us uh, a little bit of a line as to what to expect from him in 2024. And Vladdy has gotten the Blue Jays out of that group right here. A no-doubter into the second deck in left. Number 20. Are you buying it? I don't know. Like, I'm the same way. Like, I can't predict the future. I have no idea, you yeah. know? Like, I, I can look to the projection systems, and I can see that someone like Vlad, who you mentioned, um, is projected by Steamer to have, like, a WRC plus 27 points higher uh, in 24 than it was in 23. You know, Zips uh, projecting him for, like, a 20-point increase in OPS plus. Similar increases projected for guys like Alejandro Kirk and Dalton Varsho. Um, both those players projected to have like 20 plus point increases in their WRC plus year over year. Even George Springer, who like we'll see how much of 2023 was decline, how much of it was blip. Like he's obviously at a different stage in his career than Guerrero, Kirk and Varsho. But even he is like projected for a double digit increase in WRC plus. So like I lean on the objective data like that at this time of year um, because like I've just seen enough baseball to know that like I have no idea what's <laughs> actually going to happen. And I just am trying to like weed out any kind of like emotional residue of what I saw in 23 and even be, even before that, right? What we saw from Vlad in 21, like you try to just like take all of that out of the equation and just look at these players based on their talents and their merits and what you can objectively expect going forward. But it can often be hard to forget uh, what we have just seen in the recent and distant past. Yeah. And, and of course you look at the projections. I also, I, I love the human side of it too, where, you know, we get to know these guys a little bit as people. We watch them closely um, as as many of our listeners do, as many fans do. We even have a little extra layer of access when it comes to talking to them, seeing how they work behind the scenes, talking to people who are close to them, putting that picture together and then trying to do, you know, this is the most amateur of amateur scouting, but trying to watch them. I really enjoy watching in person Vlad Guerrero Jr. take BP and and watching Vlad Guerrero Jr. take at bats in a spring game and you know this has been we've covered Vlad Jr. his entire career so this goes back to his first major league spring training was I don't know 2018 or 2019 2017 I don't know it was a while ago we've been watching this guy like up close with binoculars in my case for a long time and it's it's just fun for me to watch his swing and see you know, again, I am not a hitting uh, scout by any stretch, but just to, to look at it with the eye test and see how it, how is he moving? How does it look? What How is the ball coming off his bat? And, you know, putting that together with the objective data and the conversations that you have and trying to get a sense of where it leads and understanding all the fallibility in that. And of course, like I am no better than the Zips projection sheet. You might as well just shortcut to to the 144 that Zips has for him or whatever the case. But it, it's fun this time of year to try to get those little hints and put it together into a bigger picture. Well, and we get to talk to the game planners as well 
in terms of like the Blue Jays hitting the staff, their coaches, John Schneider on a daily basis, obviously. And like that's where the Blue Jays have made a lot of their adjustments on, uh, you know, the offensive side of the ball. And it's not something that's going to be super apparent to fans. Like, it's not something you're going to see on a nightly basis like you would see a Cody Bellinger come into the plate every night. Like that is a very apparent thing right in front of your face. What you don't see is like, you know, Don Mattingly pouring over scouting reports or the hitters meeting with Matt Haig and Hunter Mentz, um, you know, pointing that video on a projector of a pitcher's delivery. Hey, here's a possible tip or a tell. Hey, here's how this guy likes to approach two strike situations. Hey, Vlad, like you're this style of hitter. And here's how this pitcher has approached that style of hitter, uh, you know, in, in the recent past. Like that's where a lot of just the alterations for the Blue Jays offensively have come has just been in like those processes their workflows, the day-to-day game planning and strategizing and providing players with information and just helping get them as prepared as possible to be successful. You know, there are people who were on this staff last year who are no longer on it. And there are reasons for that. Uh, and Don Mattingly is going to be the offensive coordinator of this team. So a lot of that is going to fall at his feet it's going to be hard to kind of measure the success or failure of that game planning because like if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. goes out and gets like a hanging cookie and smokes in the 200 level well was that game planning or was that Vlad being an amazing hitter and a pitcher left a pitch in a really bad spot and he smoked it right like it can be hard to kind of comb through the context of all this but that is just the area the Blue Jays have identified as where they can really make some gains offensively. And it's going to be interesting just to see behind the scenes how it plays out. Yeah. And even even just watching, because that will take time to to really get a read on how well that's playing out. And a lot of that is interpersonal stuff and how many people are on the bench. Do the players have enough space? All these things factor into how the Blue Jays sort of restructured their their coaching dynamic in the in the offseason. But when it comes to the granular moment by moment stuff that we get to observe in spring training, I'll be watching even Vladdy's takes, you know, and this is always really interesting with some of the more uh, expressive hitters out there. Um, and Vladdy's a guy who can who can react sometimes at the plate. And you can tell if he's really confident, if he's moving around dancing in the Juan Soto, right-handed Juan Soto style, then you can you can get a sense from Vladdy that, hey, he's really dialed in. Or sometimes he'll be off balance. And you can tell that he offered, he started to offer it a slider off the plate and he did take it, but he wasn't really seeing that pitch the whole way. So, you know, those are the little indications that, um, that I'll be watching for. And, and of course, too, like being down there, having the chance to talk to our colleagues like Joe Siddle and Caleb Joseph, guys who have stood in there in the box against major league pitching and, and you know, have insight to, to what it means to, to face the best in the world. Um, that is the difference between, you know, February and January <laughs> is you actually get some real information and real conversations going. Yeah, and then they're gonna they're gonna have to go out there and they're gonna have to do it. Like they're gonna have to go out there and score a bunch of runs. Um, and I think that the big thing for the Blue Jays' offense that I'll just be keeping an eye on this year and tracking throughout the year isn't necessarily how they do against the better pitchers in baseball. Like you're gonna come up against the Garrett Coles of this world and the Luis Castillos of this world, the George Kirby's of this world, and uh, those guys are gonna shove against you. Like that's what they do. That's why they're Cy Young candidates. That's why they're the best pitchers in baseball. But I think that what we need to see more of from the Blue Jays offense in 2024 is doing a better job of executing against the gettable pitchers, which you see routinely throughout the course of the season, because like not everyone is a Logan Gilbert, like not everybody is a Garrett Cole. Like you do come up against your Lance Lynn's, you do come up against your Kyle Gibson's or your Dean Crane. Gamers, right? Like how many Kopecks. Right. Like how many times last year, Ben, did you see like Kyle Gibson carve the Jays or Dean Kramer who would like, you know, routinely get like boat raced by Seattle or, you know, like uh, you know Minnesota and then come to Rogers Center and go like seven innings of one run ball like that. Those are the guys that the Blue Jays Jordan offense. Jordan Lyles career game. 
Sure. Yeah. Those are the guys that the Blue Jays offense really needs to capitalize against. And I think just do a better job of like executing some of those strategic things, some of those game planning things, um, some of those preparation items. They need to do a better job of executing on those against like that class of pitcher this year if the offense is going to be more successful. How funny would it be if the Blue Jays have like this monster offensive season? They score like 850 runs, but the pitching takes a step <laughs> back and everyone's like, what happened? But I mean, who knows? Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting on the offensive side. If you look at the objective projection systems, uh, and I agree with you, like the Blue Jays could use another bat. They could use some more offense added to their lineup. Who knows? Like maybe something will happen there's still a lot of talent like available in the free agent market if the blue jays choose to seek it uh but you look at pakoda they have the blue jays finishing the season in the american league's top wildcard spot uh zips has the blue jays and yankees tied for that top wildcard spot fangraphs depth charts which uh you know blends zips with steamer and makes some playing time estimations like they project the blue jays for the same amount of war as they accumulated last season. Like they project the Blue Jays for the American League's fourth highest war total this year. So like these are just completely objective projection systems that like have no emotion, no skin in the game whatsoever. They just value players, assign a number to that and add up the numbers they all think that like the Blue Jays is presently constructed ought to be better offensively this year, ought to see better results and outcomes, um, ought to not have a similar year to last year where they had like a top six, top seven weighted runs created plus, but like a below average run scored. Um, you know, projection systems believe in what the Blue Jays themselves are telling you that they believe via their actions this offseason that internally they will improve. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah, that's the that's the wild thing about it, right? Because of course, like the experience of following the Toronto Blue Jays for the last whether you want to dial it back to six months or even longer, there's been a lot of frustration there. And like that is real frustration that Jays fans have had to navigate and face. And there hasn't been a silver lining. And anyone who's frustrated, again, it's so understandable. But then the projection systems don't care about that. They don't need to take that into account. They just look at the talent that is on the roster and they make their best guess based on that. And so, um, yeah, this should be a competitive team. Um, I think that there is no reason to believe. Like, I think the Orioles and Yankees, the more I've looked at the the depth charts for those teams, um, you know, although I think Bradish had an injury, right? He's going to miss, he's going to start the season on the injured list. I think there's a UCL issue there. Yes. Uh, and it seems like he's going to try to, you know, treat it conservatively and pitch through it, which uh, always goes so well when yeah, pitchers exactly. try to do that. It's, uh, so maybe that actually takes Baltimore down. But um, yeah, you know, Baltimore, the Yankees, the Rays, it's going to be really competitive. I certainly wouldn't place the Blue Jays at the top of this division. There's no way I'm going to pick them to win the AL East this year. But they're going to compete for a playoff spot. So, you know, where that leads, we don't know. But um, yeah, the, I think it's a good point to at least acknowledge these objective projection systems like the Blue Jays. I think ultimately, like a lot of the Blue Jays offseason moves are just going to end up sort of lateral. Like they might yeah. be slight downgrades. Um, they might be slight upgrades. I think mostly it's just going to be lateral stuff around the margins and that like what's going to drive the Blue Jays uh, is what always drives every team. And that's their best hitters who make the most played appearances. So that's yeah. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette and George Springer. Like as yep. those three go, the Blue Jays will go. <laughs> Everything else is just kind of distracting us and just sort of window dressing. But, you know, like if if I had to sit here right now and make a prediction of like how many games the Blue Jays are going to win this year with the roster is presently constructed, like I would, you know, baseball's so crazy and so many wacky things happen over a six month span. Like I wouldn't put even a single number on it. Like just the way my brain works I kind of look at it in like bands, right? So I think that there's like a win band for the Blue Jays that could go as low as say 85 or 86 in a really bad case scenario where you get injuries and underperformance and poor luck in one run games. And all of a sudden it's like, oh geez, we only won 85 times and like we're, you know, we're, we're not even in the postseason. 
I could see a really good case scenario where it's like everyone stays healthy and Alec Manoa is fixed and you get the good outcome, you know, projections for guys who had down years like Vlad and Varsho and Kirk and you win like 94 to 95 games. Like I think that either of those outcomes are entirely possible just depending on like how luck, how fortune, how things like the craziness, the crazy whims of fate of baseball sway. I think most likely the Blue Jays fall somewhere in the middle of that band. So in like the 88 to 90 win range. But I do think there are potential outcomes where they win as few as 85 or as many as 95 in worst or best case scenarios. Yeah, I think that's all pretty reasonable. I think that, you know, I I could even see like low-ish 80s, like an 83. I could even see like, high-ish 90s like a 96 you know but essentially i agree i think that's essentially like yeah this is a team that's probably hovering around that 89 90 range on paper um maybe 88 to 90 on paper with just the normal volatility that you see in the course of a season and this is where you have one or two things go right like let's say it's david schneider hits 25 bombs and ricky tiedemann makes 15 starts then that really nudges things ahead but if it's Kevin Gosman misses three months with a hamstring and Jordan Romano, uh, you know, ends up with an oblique for uh, half the season, then that pushes it in the other direction. So, you know, more likely it's you kind of get one of each and it's uh, kind of where we where we have it somewhere in that middle. But there's so much room for, uh, you know, I guess, interpretation or surprise within that. Most likely outcome, I think that. By the end of September, yeah, the Blue Jays are flirting with 90 wins and they're playing a two-game wildcard series. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. If I and had to, if you right. put a gun to my head and I had to bet on something, that's honestly what I would bet on. I don't watch a lot of basketball, but this sort of reminds me of like a basketball game between two sort of even teams where it's like, you know, the first quarter, like one team's up 10 points and then and then you start the second half. It's like, oh man. But end of the day, it's like the last six minutes kind of determine what happens. Yeah, who has the ball last? Yeah, <laughs> what pretty this is much coming down to. There's there's the only basketball analogy I've probably ever made on ATL. Last thing I want to touch on this week is just like some sort of common spring training misconceptions. Like this is just a uh, you know this is a, a good time of year to do it. Um, you know, I'm curious if you have any, but I'll kind of like I'll kick it off. Uh, and this is just like a very personal one for me. And I think you can relate as well because you and I are usually the guys there on like that last week of spring training, you know, doing TV hits, writing for the website. All the stories have been told or down to just like those final storylines of camp. And it's always what are they going to do with the out of options guy? Yeah. Uh, who's going to be the 26th man on the roster? Let's not do that this year because like I've been through what are they going to do with the out of options guy with Dalton Pompey, with Anthony Alford, with Thomas Hatch. Uh, I did it last year with Mitch White and we're going to do it again this year with Mitch White. And it, like the misnomer of a lot of spring trainings is that players are actually competing for spots on the team <laughs> it's very seldom the case that they're actually true competitions i think that most gms and managers could sit down right now and look at the roster resource page and tell you exactly who their opening day roster is going to be yeah. on like the <laughs> like today first day of spring training they could tell you exactly what their roster is going to be on march 28th because they're just going to do whatever preserves flexibility and keeps as much talent in their organization like i think that most teams have like 24 25 dudes who are just assured spots on the team and like maybe there's some variability in that 26 spot maybe somebody could push their way into the back end of a bullpen or the final spot on a bench and maybe ben and i are going to spend the entire final week of spring training talking about who that's going to be like we did last year when we talked a lot about nathan lucas and otto lopez in that competition quote unquote for the 13th position player spot guess what happened there nathan lucas won it he was this great story that we all told everybody in the organization was praising him and what he'd done to get there he didn't even get a plate appearance before he was optioned 
in mid-April. Yeah. Meanwhile, Otto Lopez, who was like robbed of this spot, who was so good at the WBC, he was like so useful for that roster, such a better fit. The organizational guy who had been building his way up the ranks, like how could they do it to this guy? He went to Buffalo, OPS like 460, and got designated for assignment last week. Now he's a San Francisco Giant. So, Goes K Kato a couple years ago before that. Yeah, I just like... I just I just think we waste so much energy and breath and time and effort on talking about these little minuscule edge of roster things, these marginal items and topics that really, in the grand scheme of things, never end up mattering. Spring is for the pitchers. And realistically, you can't compress it. You need to have reps. You need to, to give yourself rest in between. So pitchers need four, five, six weeks um, to, to get ready for the grind of a season. And so that means that everyone has to be there. And, you know, there's there's the business of spring as well. But essentially, it's for the, for the pitchers. And for everyone else, it's a matter of not getting hurt and not getting into trouble, not saying or doing anything that is going to impact you later in the season. Um, it's, it's really that simple to me. Um, and it's, a, it's an amazing time of year for so many reasons. I love being down there. It's a, it's a really uh, cool way to watch baseball in a really intimate setting. But end of the day, it's more about, about avoiding bad things than it is creating good things. 100%. And that is why, and this is another like spring misconception that I'd like to dispel right now. That is why like nobody should make a big deal out of the fact that George Springer, Justin Turner, Kevin Kiermeyer, although he might be a bit of an exception, we'll see, likely aren't going to show up in games until like two weeks in to camp really to games having been played or like just aren't going to be maybe they'll like play once or twice in the first week and then not again and be looking to say are these guys hurt are they hiding something they'll play in a home games yeah these guys aren't going to fort myers these guys aren't going to lakeland you're going to hear a lot about them hitting in minor league games or taking live bps on the backfield like blue jays pr is going to be telling us oh yeah like george springer went three for six off of uh you know i I don't know west parsons on a backfield today right and like none of us saw it we're just going to take all those stats at face value um it's a live bp it's like oh yeah that's a double yeah sure right like that was a triple guy didn't even leave the box um this is just a much more efficient way for these veteran players to like get the work that they need it exposes them to less injury risk it lessens their workloads it just helps them conserve as much fuel as possible for the regular season which is something that is imperative for you know a veteran team like the blue jays when you've got 34 year olds like george springer and 39 year olds like justin turner um like this applies to the pitching staff as well like if you know kevin gosman or chris bassett have a bit more of a deliberate ramp up um you know if one of those guys goes out and gets shelled Remember, you mentioned it. Remember last year, Jose Brios's first spring outing? I remember this. This was against the Phillies in Dunedin. It went like Trey Turner single, Kyle Schwarber nuke, uh, Brandon Marsh like smoked one to the to the wall. Reese Hoskins had a first pitch single, and then Barrios goes off to the WBC and gets absolutely shelled <laughs> pitching for Puerto Rico, and everyone's melting down. Right? Remember, we're coming off of 2022. People are apoplectic. This guy is broken. What happened to him? How could this be? The Blue Jays are screwed. Well, the regular season comes around and Brios has like a three and a half ERA over nearly 200 innings pitched. Same thing with Chris Bassett last year. He comes out early in the spring and he's like high 80s. The VLO is down. He's telling anyone who will listen, don't worry, don't freak out. I'm not trying to peak in March. I'm trying to peak in September, October. No one's listening. They're saying Chris Bassett is like cooked. The Blue Jays like gave this veteran all this money and they never should have done it. And they made this big mistake. He goes out, throws 200 innings of three and a half ERA ball. Ignore that stuff. Don't overreact to spring results, to spring playing time, to spring performance. Um, Just don't worry about any of that stuff, particularly when you're dealing with veterans like the Blue Jays have. Yeah. And even when you have a young player performing really well, just try to keep a keep that in context too i mean um rowdy telez has gone on to have a solid major league career so you know he was he was a major leaguer in the making at this point in time but i remember this was probably 2017 2018 around the time that telez was coming up and there was so much hype around him and what he could potentially be for this team 
because he was crushing it all spring. And end of the day, he was a major league player. So it's not that the hype was totally unjustified, but you just want to remember, like, if maybe it is, um, you know, uh, Nathan Lucas or an Addison Barger might have a monster spring this year. And that would be great for the Blue Jays if he does. And he's probably going to play in the majors either way. But doesn't mean if he goes out and hits nine homers this spring, it doesn't mean that he's ready for everyday third base duty on opening day. You know, it's going to be it's going to be irrelevant because yeah. like weather's warm he's got a ton of pop um you know he's obviously like trying to prove something in camp um he's a guy who can easily run into like a few cookies from uh maybe even big league pitchers on the other side who are just trying to get the ball over the plate (laughs) just trying to like feel something for the mound uh and he could totally just like nuke a few uh early in spring and have everyone saying Eraldis martinez needs to be on this team right now on opening day yeah and and look, like I'd be open to that, honestly. If I was the Blue Jays, uh, you don't go in there assuming he's going to make it. But yeah, you'd be open to it. But hey, if he struggles for two weeks and you know it's not there, then you probably send him down. And more likely than that, just knowing how the Blue Jays think about development and knowing how they think about even what it means to debut in the major leagues, they more likely send him to Buffalo for a couple weeks and then mid-season something comes up and it's three weeks into the season and boom, he's there. So, you know, breaking camp with the major league team does come with a little bit more pressure. Final one I'll identify and just because you're like already seeing it rampant, um, it's the so-and-so's looking jacked, so-and-so's lost weight, so-and-so's in incredible shape, so-and-so's conditioning, this and that. yes. Of course, these players are in better shape than they were the last time you saw them, which was at the end of a six-month marathon in which they pushed their limits both physically and mentally just to get through to the end of the season. Like Every player should be more muscular, trimmer, um, you know, leaner, more mentally sound than they were when they finished 2023. A lot of players actually try to come into the season with weight to lose because they know that throughout uh, the grind of an MLB season, like they're just going to be fighting against that deterioration as they get into the regular travel and the lack of sleep and the stress every night and the poor eating habits and the change in time zones and the stress and the toll on their bodies every night. Like no, no player is gaining muscle during the grind of a baseball season like a baseball season is a highly catabolic environment you are you are only going to lose for a lot of guys halfway through the season like the priority is just like keep as much as you can and survive until the end like just get yourself ready to perform that night you know like there's a big difference between like being well enough to perform and like being in your healthiest best shape for for health um you know in order to like to gain muscle or to you know preserve muscle like you need a low stress environment you got to be like prioritizing your rest and your sleep and like you can't have your friggin sympathetic nervous system being like lit up every night because you're playing two and a half hours of you know high stress baseball in front of 40,000 people like you're not sleeping you're getting on planes you're switching time zones your circadian rhythms all messed up like you're just stressed out your cortisol's all over the place like it's just not a good environment to be looking your best so yes visually a lot of players are going to appear um, to be in much better shape right now than they were at the end of last season. Uh, that's because they're standing on like the the starters. Like Courtney Dowalter, like standing at the beginning of the ultra marathon. They're about to run 100 miles. They're going to look a lot different at the end of it. It's a long season, right? It's a super long season. And I would venture to say that the 50-50 ticket sellers are in better shape now. (laughs) And the grounds crew and maybe the writers. I don't know. Like, it's a long, long season. I think that the elevator attendants, everyone around the team, it's just... It takes a toll. I'm sure fans know this. Like your schedule, anyone listening to this, your schedule, if you're this much of a fan, you know, that you're listening to ATL in February, you live and die with the Blue Jays. And and probably your schedule is very, very different in the summertime when they play every single day for three hours than it is in the winter when maybe you watch Netflix or whatever the case. Like it's a diff, it just the baseball schedule is unlike anything else. And it has a physical impact on these guys. 
And if anything, like I would say that an excessively low body fat percentage would actually be a disadvantage for a ball player at the beginning of the season. I don't like I don't yeah. think that's what you want. No, you don't want it. No, I agree with that. I agree because then you lose if you, once you start losing weight, you're losing muscle. Yeah, you yeah. got exactly, right? You got yeah. nothing to lose. If anything, like excessively low body fat, that's just going to hinder your endurance, your your energy. Um you're not going to be feeling your best every day. You're not going to be able to perform your best. Yeah. The other the other thing is like baseball players are not bodybuilders. Like you're you're not preparing You don't say. To- <laughs> Well, but that's the thing. Like a lot of people expect them to look a certain way. Like, and this is across all sports, but it's it's a weird thing in baseball where people really expect ball players to like conform to this uh, aesthetic ideal of like what a professional athlete should look like. And you know, it's 2024, and we've seen enough baseball by now to know that there is like a wide range of body types that can thrive at the highest level of this of this sport. Um, like we've watched enough baseball to know, like there's no physical standard, um, by which you are being judged as if you're like stepping on stage at the Olympia or with which you need to excel at this game, right? Like appearance really doesn't tell us anything about function. Body composition does not reflect athleticism, strength, coordination, stamina, like these things are all important, but I really don't think any of us can assess a player's athleticism and a player's possession of those traits merely by looking at them running around a backfield in spring training. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's, I, I think they're limp. They're, they're sort of like thresholds past which you sort of say, okay, maybe this isn't helping um, for sure. I think that can, that can happen. But I think there are also instances where, you know, to go back to my guy, Patrick Mahomes, shout out to his Super Bowl win. You heard it here first on ATL. Um, But, you know, there was a photo circulating of him where, you know, he had a shirt off and it wasn't like your Adonis physique, whatever. It's functional. It works for him. So who cares? It works incredibly well for him. Um, So that can be the case with ballplayers, too. One of my favorite rugby players to watch is Finn Russell. He's the fly half for Scotland. And this guy is just like an absolute maestro on the pitch. Like he just does things that nobody is expecting. He is like so decisive and so creative. He's got that like Mahomes dad bod going on. Like they just, they did a, like one of those Netflix, like advertise the sport series uh, for last year's six nations, which is awesome by the way. Um, and you see Finn Russell with his shirt off in the locker room. And it's like, this guy is one of the best fly halves like in international rugby. Like, yeah, he is because he possesses all those athletic traits and all the things that make him great at the highest level. Um, and you wouldn't know it by looking at him. Like, this is why teams like don't rely on the eye test when it comes to athletes. Like, this is why they have like objective measures, performance-based metrics and strength tests and agility measures like this is why right now in Dunedin like players are establishing baselines in the gym um, and in the trainer's room for their strength for their flexibility Um, you know they're they're establishing baselines for like rest metrics Um, you know there's all kinds of information and data and biofeedback that can be gathered throughout the season and then measured against what your baseline was coming off the off season and spring training to tell the club like how prepared you are to compete that night like this is stuff that informs playing time decisions it informs training workload off the field because like throughout the course of a baseball season you're naturally going to wear down you're naturally going to push your physical limits it's demanding it's relentless like that is just the design of the sport but teams can help athletes avoid overtraining. Um, they can help them avoid burning out mentally, accumulating excessive fatigue, all these things that lead directly to injuries. Like teams can help players stay on the field and you know perform at their best over the long run by assessing a lot of these objective metrics and, and just relying on a lot of this feedback um, that is like measurable not just, oh, so-and-so looks tired. Oh, so-and-so looks out of shape. Oh, so-and-so looks athletic. I really don't think that like any of us can tell anything about a player's athleticism or readiness to compete just by looking at them. Yeah. I think you, you know, to have the the objective information is so helpful and it's, and it's, um, yeah, you know, you think about 
just how useful that is. And it's like, this is, this is why sports analytics are great. This is why we want them. And this is why they help make better decisions and keep athletes on the field. And of course, like, I, I think, you know, I, I, you can watch Alejandro Kirk and you can tell he's not a fast base runner, but I'd rather have a baseline. I'd rather have an objective baseline on that and understand, you know, relative to himself, uh, how is he moving relative to his historic norms? Um, same with uh, a really fast base runner like, you know, let's say it's a Whitmerfield or, you know, not that he was necessarily that fast, but historically he has been. You you want to understand them relative to themselves. So those things are super useful. Um, yeah, not to make this about analytics, but analytics are awesome. So <laughs> keep them coming. Any, uh, any last spring misconceptions you want to clear up? Um, that's it. Um, over here anyway, excited for spring training to be back. Hopefully there's some better times ahead for Jays fans. Oh, there's always good times. Uh, this is the thing with baseball, man. It's going to surprise you. Like, uh, you know, go back and look at what we were talking about last year and what we were saying and what people were saying and what the general tenor was, um, like your, uh, I don't even know what to call it. Nightmare scenario, I guess, where the Blue Jays like average six runs a game, but their pitching absolutely falls apart. Yeah. I don't know. Like maybe that should be the expectation because base <laughs> in baseball, it's like yeah. expect the unexpected. Who I said this last week, who at this time last year saw the Rangers and Diamondbacks playing for the World Series? It was like the Mets and Padres are going to contend for the pennant. You know, the Yankees are obviously going to win the American League East. Uh, you know, like Jose Barrios and Yusei Kikuchi might be cooked. Alec Manoa is obviously going to contend for a Cy Young Award. I mean, all these things that we say during spring training, all this stuff that we forecast and predict, so much of it ends up just being bunk. Yeah. <laughs> Completely inaccurate. None of us actually know what's going to happen all i know is that many things will happen that run in direct opposition completely counter to what a lot of people are saying today that's for sure and honestly i'm looking forward to it i think i think it'll be great it's nice to have baseball back and uh yeah thanks to everyone for for sticking with us he's ben nicholson smith i am arden zwelling our producers are christian ryan and nick Andrad. spring training has begun at the letters will be with you throughout and then throughout the regular season as well until next time thanks so much for listening this has been at the letters